Okay, so I thought today the new Beatles song was going to be released, the final Beatles song that will ever be released. Well, of course, there's all there's always Carnival of Light, but uh, yeah, it said uh, Thursday morning at 9 a.m. and it's 9:40 right now, but no, it's going to be one week from today, uh, uh, November 2nd, 2023. The last, oh, so it's the last Beatles song, but of course, Carnival of Light has not been released yet, but anyway, there's a trailer here for the song. I mean, I've heard the song. It's, it's, it's out there, but the official, 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 official version. Here we when go. When we lost John, we knew that it was really over. I was talking to Yoko, and she said, ah, oh, I think I've got a tape of John. Paul called me up and said he'd like to work on Now and Then. He put the bass on, I put the drums on. It's the last song that my dad and Paul and George and Ringo will get to make together. How lucky was I to have those men in my life. The last Beatles song. Copyright 2023, Apple Core Limited. So I, they're not really saying. I think they they worked on it in the '90s, and it was going to be put on uh, Anthology Three, right? And uh, it that was because Anthology One and Two, these are in the '90s, each had a brand new song. The gimmick was it was a, a demo by John Lennon that the other Beatles uh, played on, and it was um, you know so there's a new Beatles song, quote unquote. But this the third one, uh, the quality was not up to snuff, and they. Um, they decided not to put it on, even though it always puzzled me why there wasn't a third new song on the third anthology. It would have been that song. So we have another week to wait. Another week till the new Beatles song. But yesterday, um, I Am a Phony, who is, uh, does the Paul is Dead stuff on YouTube, did release a new alternate version of the song. So this is kind of what the song sounds like. It'll sound something like this. Oh, look, a video of the death of the hipster subculture. That's what I've been talking about lately, too. With photo vibrance, you can transform... Photo vibrance? ...mesmerizing moving image in just a few clicks. Simply drop your image and... ...keep putting down all manual and coming out with the right story. Harry the Hipster Gibson. About Harry the Hipster. Who's Harry the Hipster? New York Times dubbed Harry the first hipster of New York. The word hipster itself actually came... Okay. The history of... Because I've been thinking about that recently. Like, the hipsters are gone now. I don't know. I, I, always, I was always annoyed by them, but I, I don't want them to be gone. It's sort of comforting to think that people could still be self-confident and arrogant even in their coolness because of the music they know and the things they know, right? Hipsterism was kind of a bit of a meritocracy in, term, in terms that you would, you would at least think that you were cool because you knew things. I may be overgeneralizing, but you know what I'm saying. As opposed to what seems to be now, and this is a broad overgeneralization that you just need to have an you just need to project an image of cool but you're not really cool you know like uh you know the stories about the fake uh airplane 
there's like a you, you can go to this building that they have a in a room they have like an, a part of an interior of a of a private jet plane and you can take pictures for your social media in there to, to make people jealous think that you're on a private plane you see what i'm saying cuz i suppose anyone could you know have friends that are super rich that have private planes that could wind up going on them who's going to say you're not on a private plane but it's 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 a lie or is it maybe it's a real plane but the people in it have been made to believe that it's a fake plane that doesn't make any sense so i've been watching that uh, the new netflix show bodies it's one of these shows that has such a vague title, but it's a time travel show. Well, they say it's a time travel show. There's, ha, I'm not sure if there's act been, sort of been time travel in the show. The premise is that uh, it takes place in this section of London, England, and um, there's these detectives in different times, uh, 1890, 1941, 2023, and 2053, I think. <coughs> and they all find the same, like, body. It's a naked guy that's dead that's been shot in the eye. This is all, like, this is not really spoilers per se. Uh, so these detectives from all these different times find this body. Um, and uh, the story goes from there. <laughs> it's pretty good. I, I, I like it. But I, I can almost sort of, like, tell. Like, it's, it's, it's pretty good at this point. But I can just sort of feel the show's going to fall apart, like, in the, in the last quarter of the series. Like, they all do. <laughs> or not all of them, but most of them do. It reminds me a lot of the, um, what was that show called? The Apparatus or the, the Peripheral. Yeah, that was a good show. And it had, it, this has similar vibes of, like, cross-time manipulation kind of stuff. Um, I thought Peripheral was real good, but then it, towards the end, it, you know, like eight episodes, the last two episodes, I like, eh, kind of weren't that great. And then they renewed the show. This was the, the peripheral. They renewed it. And so you could see what happens, but then they unrenewed it and canceled it. So we'll never know what happens. So with all these shows, you get all invested. It ends in a cliffhanger. And it, with very few, it, it, it just sort of seems with very few exceptions, the show is canceled and you never find out what happens. It's sort of so frustrating. Don't you think these days they should sort of like create each season of these shows as a complete story with an ending? So if there just happens to be another season, which of course there probably won't be, there won't be this damn cliffhanger. This, there's never been, I, I, I don't think in history, there's never been as many unresolved uh, cliffhangers, you know, in, in our society. It's, it's, it's become, so now I'm just like, you know, like, uh, I'm just sort of expecting it now. The show's good. It's, it's probably going to be eight episodes. I'm on the episode two. It's good. Probably by about episode six or seven, it's going to start to go bad. And episode eight will end with a cliffhanger, and then the show will be canceled, and we'll never know what happened. <laughs> what the hell has happened to television these days? It's so frustrating. It's so frustrating indeed. But, yeah, it's a pretty good show. I don't know. Well, so far. I'll, uh, I'll let you know if, uh, if it follows the same pattern, which I'm sure it will. Netflix, I think, cancels most of their, sh most of their shows. Maybe maybe people could just start to just just watch the first six episodes and then just stop, and then it, you know 
you won't have to worry about the uh, the cliffhanger. You won't have to worry about it getting bad. Just you, it'll leave a good impression in your mind. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Ah, look at this. What a beautiful day. It's uh, later in October, but uh, it is warm out here. It's like a hot day. It's beautiful. It's like a summer day out here today. Yeah, the insurance inspector came. I just guess there's going to be two insurance inspections. What happened was um, we went down to my father's house. You know, my father passed away earlier this year. And we're, uh, we have the estate sale people there starting to clean up. But there was one thing we wanted. There was this mirror we, we, we wanted. So we wanted to get some kind of blanket or something to put over it to transport it. And we have these moving blankets in the uh, garage. So um, I went out to get them. But the moving blankets were, like, really, like, dirty and wet. I'm like, what the hell? Um, we've been pretty lucky here. There's been a lot of flooding and a lot of rain. We've been super lucky here at our basement, our house, and even the garage does not flood in any way, which has been amazing. So I'm like, how the heck did this happen? So the, uh, you know, my garage door, you lift it up, and it kind of like goes up onto the ceiling, you know, garage doors like that. So I look up to see where the water can be coming from, and all I'm looking at is the garage door that I've opened. Like, hmm... I guess I better lower it and see if I can see anything that may be dripping. So I look, and there's uh, a, a, a tree branch poking through the through the ceiling. It it, it must have crashed uh, into the into the roof and actually jabbed through. It, crazy the amount of force that must have been involved. Because I do remember earlier this year seeing some uh, branches on. The roof of the uh, of the garage, but I didn't think anything of it, and I, I I sort of pulled a few of them down. Um, but from outside, you can't see at all that anything like that happened. And as I said, when I open when I go into the garage, occasionally uh, I wouldn't have seen it anyway because the the door would be on the, up there. So thankfully, all that was um, underneath was just some firewood and some junk, complete junk, and those moving blankets. So I thought this guy was going to do the whole inspection. He was only doing the internal inspection. I'm like, it's not that exciting. I'm thinking, like, just a few moving blankets that are worthless. I mean, I wouldn't put any value on them. Um, but uh, but he was saying, yeah, they have to redo the whole roof, I guess. So get our roof redone, <laughs> even though we have a deductible. It has to be fixed. I mean, you can't have a big hole in your in the roof of the garage, you know. I suppose you could, but that's why we have insurance for it, right? So the guy came, and, uh, yeah, he was very nice about it. He was taking some pictures. It, like I said, I, there's really is nothing of value was damaged. <coughs> but the roof is going to cost quite a bit, so hopefully we'll get a nice new roof. Even though that garage is not that old. It was only less than 10 years old, that garage. Um, the p- previous owners put it up because... After their garage was uh, demolished in uh, Hurricane Sandy. Hurricane Sandy, remember that whole thing from 2012, the Sandy, Superstorm Sandy? It's receding into memory now, but uh, yeah, it was quite a natural disaster we got hit with here in this area. Anyway, um, yeah, so then there's another inspection coming up next Tuesday, which also happens to be Halloween. That's when the roof inspectors are coming. And of course, my garage is a big mess, so I 
when I were, we were walking down the driveway, I'm like, oh, it's a big mess. But I'm sure you've seen worse. He's like, yeah, of course. I just want to say, so, I mean, I know, obviously, the guy's an insurance inspector. He's seen it all. But yeah, it's a big mess. I'm sure you've seen it. seen worse. What do you want? Yeah. Anyway, in other news, um, we are talking to uh, my sister-in-law and brother-in-law. My brother-in-law is, uh, you know, from South Jersey, so he's a big uh, uh, Phillies fan in baseball. And so uh, after <coughs> my wife was talking to his sister, she's like, oh, yeah, the Phillies lost. I'm like, what? What does that even mean? What, they lost the game? What? I have usually as – I'm not a sports fan, but if I was into any sport, it would be baseball. But I'm not into baseball. And, but I usually do follow the baseball playoffs – uh, just out of curiosity, uh, I have not seen or heard anything about it. Um, so apparently, the Philly, the Philadelphia Phillies, were in a uh, the uh, whatever. Hold on, let me look at the playoff picture image here. Yeah, yeah, the postseason picture. That's what I'm looking for. So, uh, yeah, it's just sort of snuck up on me. I had no idea this was going on. So yeah, it was. Uh, Arizona versus uh, the Phillies for the National League Conference Series <coughs> and LCS. And they lost on Game 7. So I felt bad for Joe, like my brother-in-law Joe, that his team lost. Because, I mean, Arizona, that's a long way from here. I don't know anyone that's into Ari- the Arizona Rattlers. Is that what they're called? And then uh, on the American League side, <laughs> this is the sports portion of the show, uh, the the American League Championship Series was uh, Houston Astros through the uh, Texas Rangers, so two Texas teams battling it out, and again it was a Game Seven win for the Rangers. So the World Series now starting tomorrow is going to be Texas Rangers versus Arizona. Oh, Diamondbacks, right? Is that what it is? Diamondbacks? Some kind of snake-related thing. Um, so yeah, apparently the Texas Rangers have never won a World Series, though the Diamondbacks have they won in 2001 so they don't really care about either of these teams I I actually I think wasn't Jimbo a a Rangers fan so I'll I'll, I'll root for that team because I think Jimbo was a a, a Rangers fan because there's other Rangers there's the uh, hockey Rangers right what am I thinking of I don't know sports damn it I don't know like there's all these sponsors on this one JPEG, the postseason picture 2023, sponsored by Adobe. But of course, the wildcard games are sponsored by Hankook Tires, and the divisional series games are sponsored by Booking.com. And the se- the championship series were uh, sponsored by Loan Depot, and the World Series will be sponsored by Capital One. Everything's got to be sponsored. <laughs> it's funny. Adobe is that. Did they, did they always use that logo, or did they... Because that looks like their older logo, actually. It's weird. The A is like a weird triangle kind of thing. I think they did change it. I have to look into that, yeah. Anyway, World Series just snuck up on me. In some other, in some other life, I am a baseball fan, but not in this one. <laughs> I would like to be, but... In theory, but I I have plenty of things to amuse myself. I don't need that. Don't need that. Anyway, um, 
Yeah, I ran out of cigars a while ago, I think even before my trip to Italy. And I decided, <coughs> you know, to see if I could, because uh, I was smoking each, every day. Not an entire cigar, but I would got in the habit of smoking every day. And I would prefer not to smoke every day. I mean, I love cigars, but I don't want to smoke every day. So I didn't get any more. And then I had some pipe tobacco, so I'm occasionally smoking a pipe. But that's really not, it takes some work and it's not that great. And so, yeah, I've actually sort of uh, stopped uh, regular smoking on the porch here, which is good. I mean, as I said, I, I, I don't want to quit cigars, but I'm not addicted. I have no urge to smoke them. I think it's more of like a ha- um, – there was a little bit of a, a daily thing, which I'm assuming is the nicotine, but uh, a little bit of a slight urge and just sort of a daily routine. But I experienced nothing like you hear about cigarette smokers going through hell trying to quit. I never felt I was addicted to this stuff, you know. It's weird because you think, like, cigarettes are so addictive, but pipes and uh, cigars are not. So, yeah, kind of, you know, it's good to take a little break from it. I'll get some more at some point. But if I have them, I'll smoke them. That's the problem, you know. (laughs) Like, I have a cigar. I got to smoke it. Uh, Also with, uh, like, like liquor, I ran out of my good liquor. I had a really good uh, uh, mezcal and, of course, that really, really good scotch the Lafroig 16 but now i'm kind of out and uh all i have left is this uh remember the red suicide absinthe that i think escapist got me a few years ago it's like in this skull it's supposed to have a very high level of thujone which is the uh supposed to be the psychedelic substance in absinthe but there's a lot of people think that that's bs that um the effect of that of even a high level of thujone on you i'm assuming t-h-u-j-o-n-e thujone thujone i don't know how to pronounce it thujone i would say um they're saying that if if you drank enough absinthe for the thujone to affect you you'd be completely drunk off your ass anyway anyway this stuff is supposed to have the highest level of thujone allowed in the in czech republic Anyway, I had a glass of it last night, and, um, you know, it doesn't taste great, but I just wanted something. And uh, But I, I think I was feeling a little weird from the Thujone, and uh, I created the Today's Show Art. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I think I was under the effects of absinthe as I, as I was uh, designing the show art, which is uh, today's episode is called a mummy with telescope multimedia presentation. <laughs> yeah, I think that came from from the absinthe. Um, so how this art got started, there's kind of a twirly background there. Um, there was an old show art of uh, called Antuk Box Rocks from a few years ago. And I was just playing around with that, like in Photoshop, twirling it around and stuff. And... Um, so I had the basis of this, and then I decided to take the artwork and sort of superimpose the twirl on top of the twirl. And that's how you see this is a very beautiful-looking twirl kind of thing, almost like a whirlpool. It's like swampy greens and ochres and pinks. It's a cool color scheme. I like it. Um, so once I had that, I, I started figuring out, like, what do I want to call it? And uh, in my, you know, I have a notes file for show titles, 
And I was thinking about something with a crow's nest, you know, like on a, on one of those sailing ships that you climb up and it's like a little observation deck kind of thing they have. There's even one in Star Wars. Remember on the Rebel base, there's a guy in a crow's nest who's like uh, pointing his detector at the X-Wing fighters that are leaving. Remember that guy? No. Anyway, if you're a Star Wars fan, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But anyway, uh, yeah, and I remember I had that weird dream when I was a kid. Well, maybe an adolescent where it was like all these little spaceships were like flying into this ice cream cone and I was eating this ice cream cone and I didn't realize that I was eating all these spaceships at the same time. Remember that? And I and I made a song under my uh, musical pen name, Little Frankie Nora, called Ice Cream Cone of the Gods. That I think was in reference to that dream. That was, But it was based on that scene in Star Wars with that guy in the crow's nest. But anyway, I was thinking about like um, a mummy, like, you know, like the Egyptian corpse wrapped in gauze that's been brought back to life somehow as, you know, sort of when you talk about the uh, like a monster party, there's always a Dracula, a Frankenstein and a wolf man. But then there's also like a mummy, you know, there should be a mummy at some point, you know, involved in a monster party. Um, so I was thinking like a mummy in a crow's nest. And I, I tried different or like an arcade called the mummy crow's nest arcade. I was I play around with these ideas. I'm like, yeah, no, I kind of that's not working. It's not working for me. But I had on my notes, so I'm like, well, what do you do in a crow's nest? You have a telescope, so mummy with telescope. <laughs> I really like that phrase. Um, so mummy with telescope multimedia would be like, I was thinking we could continue the story of Sullivan Begner from last time, uh, from his college days, and then. Uh, you know, he's out of college and now in the business world and starts a company in the 90s. And he wants to come up with this really memorable name and uh, winds up uh, th- thinking that a mummy with a telescope would be very memorable. If you heard mummy with telescope multimedia, it's a multimedia company. They were probably making interactive CD-ROMs at the time in that fictional version of the 1990s with the fictional Sullivan Begner. Um <laughs> so one of his works like if you, one of the CD-ROMs and you you put it in it'll say such and such such and such a mummy with telescope multimedia presentation what was that the word presentation what, didn't they used to say a screen gems presentation remember, remember that can we find a video of that or something what was screen gems oh boy that's a real gem on the screen it's a screen gem Screen, screen gems presentation. Hello. I know. Everyone's marveling at the uh, warm weather. Screen gems. Logo history, maybe? No. Magilla Gorilla. Okay, yeah. The end of Magilla Gorilla. A screen jam presentation. That's exactly what I was looking for. Wow. See, you're all sad because Magilla Gorilla's over, but then another cartoon should be coming on, and then you hear this.
And that, of course, is one of those, uh, I don't know, about 10 years ago, people started calling them scary logos. Uh, those little identity pieces at the beginning or end of a TV show, usually, or a videotape or what have you, um, which has, I think, it they, that this they have a liminal quality. That's why people call it scary. Um, and I play those sometimes, those scary logos, you know, like the, uh, can we find that here? But I was, I was sort of inspired. A mummy with telescope, multimedia presentation, kind of like Screen Gems presentation. What's the uh, scary audio logos? So the real, so that's basically it. I thought it would be a cool name for a company in the '90s, Mummy with Mummy with Telescope Multimedia. And I didn't, I I, I didn't even create like a logo. I know you can go to AI Mummy with Telescope. I haven't done that. It doesn't need to be depicted necessarily. Just the words. <clears throat> Ooh, what was that? I hear some sort of creature. Where was it? Hmm. I don't know. I should investigate this. It sounded like a bird or something. Did you hear that? Hmm. Scary logo. But what do they call it? Uh, scary. It's, it's like video logos. What's the phrase for it? Scary. Scary TV logos like this one. Yeah, yeah. Viacom presentation, yeah. I've probably played this one on the other side. The following program is brought to you in living color on NBC. Yeah, I definitely I definitely put this one on there. I think I've heard this about a hundred times. Mark Seven Limited. What is this one for? Scimitar Entertainment Inc. No, it's a nice doggy. It's not scary. Paramount, a Gulf and Western company. Don't forget. Is it still? Anyway, you got the idea. I th- I I feel like uh, that uh, it's still something we need to figure out. I think in, in terms of aesthetics, like uh, talking about how those logos are scary, or like as a kid, it did give you a weird feeling. And how that relates to, like, the beauty of, like, a dead mall and, uh, you know, liminality or TV uh, uh, theme songs like from M.A.S.H. or Taxi that are really sad and bittersweet. It, 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 uh, it, these are um, accessing or triggering an aesthetic response that's um, 
I guess calling it scary is one way of saying it, but it's it's just as that we're lacking. It's liminal, I suppose. But even the word liminal, as I think I mentioned, I tried joining a liminal group on Facebook, but the whole group was arguing about the meaning of the word liminal, and there was really not that much liminal content. <laughs> like people would just p- post a picture of like a sporting goods store from like yesterday. And people were like, no, that's not liminal. The store needs to be abandoned or something. Like, no one understood what, like, I, it was just so frustrating. I even posted something that I thought was liminal. They're like, dude, that's not liminal. I don't know what you're talking about. So, yeah, I left that group. I thought it was liminal, but uh, it, it, this is something that we, we, we all experience, but we sort of lack the words for. So we're latching onto this word liminal, which just means sort of a like a boundary or edge case or something. Like a limit, maybe re- liminal, limit, something like that. We need a word for this this thing, you know, like we have words to describe experiences we have, like sort of taste, like sweet and salty and ammonium, like from last time. And uh, we need a word to describe this aesthetic response uh, that we're feeling, right? It's a very special feeling that uh, there's not a, really a good word for, but yeah, a Screen Gems presentation. Yeah, I definitely watched a lot of McGilla Gorilla growing up and all those cartoons. I loved it. <coughs> the freaking gorilla could talk, but he was like being kept in a pet store. Really, you know. How much is that gorilla in the window? Is that what she said? Won't you buy him? Take him home and try him. Gorilla for sale. They're, gonna, they're selling him. It, it, talking about, like last time we were talking about slavery. It's like it is like kind of like slavery. There's, there's something really wrong with that cartoon. Did have people like figured out? Is it like is that McGilla Gorilla? Is it is it still acceptable? I mean, it's sort of like the servitude of an of an of a sentient ape. You know what I'm saying? Let's see. So what was the... So the idea is that he would... uh, Let me read you this to you. We have to figure out about McGill and Gorilla. Yeah, I mean... There's something not right about it. He's like... Yeah, like most cartoon animals, he's as, as sentient and intelligent like a human being, you know? It's no wonder they never made like a... You'd think they'd be, they, they, they redo everything because they're out of ideas, but they never... I don't think they ever brought back McGilla Gorilla, did they? The show ran from 1963 to 1965. But has it come back or other appearances? Let's see. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, they um, they brought them into the DC universe. So like, Nightwing meets McGilla Gorilla. You know, Nightwing. He used to be Robin. Then he was in the Teen Titans. He 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 met McGilla Gorilla. Oh, was he in the? um, He was in the Laugh Olympics, right? No. I would think so. Like all those crossovers from the Hanna Barbera, he should be in those, I would think. Laugh, laugh, laugh Olympics. There you go. 
I don't know. <laughs> so what do they say about this guy? He, they, they say, Magilla Gorilla is a fun-loving yet trouble-prone anthropomorphic gorilla who spends his time languishing in the front display window of Melvin Peebles' pet shop, eating bananas and being a drain on the shop's finances. Peebles frequently marks down his price considerably, but he's invariably only purchased for a short time, typically by some thieves who need a gorilla to break into a bank or an advertising agency looking for a mascot for their new product. The customers always end up returning Megillah, forcing Peebles to give a refund. In the case of being bought by thieves, he was seized by police for being used in criminal activity and returned to Peebles' store. Megillah often ended episodes with his catchphrase, We'll try again next week. The only customer truly interested in owning McGillig is a little girl named OG. All right, let's hear the theme song. Just won't you try him? Won't you buy him? Take him home and try him. Don't fish have a, um, they have a song called Magilla, but I don't think it's related to this necessarily. Is this, could this be the real intro? Just look for the mobile exclusive tag on thousands of hotels. What? I don't want to know about a hotel. Yeah, this is it. Oh, look, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I watched this a lot because I remember the pumpkin cat and mush mouse. They were like hillbilly. And there's OG. How much is that guy really in the window? I must have, I, I watched this like every day for years when I was a kid. But little did I understand the weird, the weird subtexts. But what about the fish song, Magilla? What is that? I don't know. I want to see if I if I recognize this song. I heard that they're playing. Wait. Let's try this. This is the the album version. No, this is not it. Hold on. Ads. Hmm. Okay, so is that really... When's the last time they played it? You can go on Fishnet and see all the information on each song. Okay, let's see what it says about it. Is a Megillah is a piano-based jazz instrumental that represented Paige McConnell's first original song contribution to the band's repertoire. Debuted in uh, uh, 1990. Okay. So when is the last time they played it? Let's see. I do follow such things. Wow, wait a second. 
Wow, they haven't played it since uh, 2003. Wow. The last time they played it was Verizon Wireless Music Center, July 22nd, 2003. Preceded by Carini and uh, afterwards was Possum. Wow, so McGill is out. Wow. Maybe they'll bring it back. They've been bringing... The fall tour, they brought back a lot of old songs that they did not bring back um, Magilla. Hmm. But let's see, is it is it named after Magilla Gorilla? Hmm. I mean, are there other Magillas besides... I know there's a name Magilla Cuddy, like Magilla Cuddy, like Cuddy Sark. Did I ever talk about Cuddy Sark? I've been meaning to talk about Cuddy Sark on this show. Did I ever talk about it? It's like a witch, like a hot witch character. No, you know what I'm talking about? But it's like a boat. It's like a drink. It's like so many different things. And wasn't, there, wasn't there that movie where Whoopi Goldberg dressed up as a white man and her name was Cuddy because she saw a bottle of Cuddy Sark? Mm. <laughs> Let me make a note if I want to go in, down this road. Well, let me just... No, I typed Curry Sark. Let me just let me just give you my without looking it up, my understanding of Cuddy Sark. And then um we'll uh, go from there. But I just want to see one more thing. Magilla. Alright, so what does it mean? It's a a, a Yiddish word? It means Megillah. I don't know what that is. A scroll. Interesting. So it's a it's a it's it's a it's a scroll of scripture. Hmm, it's a Megillah. Wow, I didn't know that. Anyway, Cuddy Sark. Okay. So I only knew Cuddy Sark as the bottle of whiskey. That has a, a picture of a sailing ship on it that may have a crow's nest on it. Maybe even a mummy with a telescope. If you look real close. Uh, it has sort of a green and yellow color scheme, if I recall correctly. And it's like a cheap, cheap whiskey, Cutty Sark, right? And it's a very inter- interesting name, Cutty. C-U-T-T-Y space S-A-R-K, Sark. I, I, I knew Sark as the villain from the movie Tron by uh, Walt Disney Productions from 82. Remember that? Where the guy goes into the computer? You remember that one? Put him on the game grid, Sark. Yes, Master Control. Cutty Sark. So... Apparently, the ship, it was the ship. It was a boat called Cutty Sark. But it was named after a, this, like, a reference in this poem where this guy uh, was, like, wandering in the woods and he, he came upon the scene of these witches having, like, rituals in the woods. And one of them was wearing this very short skirt or slip or something. A cutty sark means a short skirt. I, I think that's what it was. And one of the witches was very attractive and was wearing this very sh- short skirt. And he yells out, oh, yeah, Gary, go, go, Cuddy Shark. <laughs> like, I don't know what happened to the guy. They're, they're, but these witches were, like, really, like, 
like kind of evil monsters, you know, but they look attractive. But somehow that poem in Scotland, I think, became so po- popular that they decided na- to name the boat after it. You see what I'm saying? No? All right, let me start looking this stuff up now because it's, yes. All right. I just Googled Cuddy Sork. Uh, Cuddy Sork. It's a British clipper ship built on the River Leven, Dumbarton, Scotland, in 1869 for the Jock Willis shipping line. She was one of the last tea clippers to be built and one of the fastest. See, in English, we don't usually gender inanimate objects, but in the case of a ship, we do call it a she. Uh, One of the fastest at the end of a long period is design development for this type of vessel, which ended as steamships took over their routes. She was named after the short shirt of the fictional witch in Robert Burns' poem Tam O'Shanter, published in 1791. Okay. So I was right about that. So Tam O'Shanter, a narrative poem. Hmm. Let's see. Tam O'Shanter. Check this out. They, they, they have a little bit of, like, a summary of it and the whole Cuddy Sark con- concept. And then how did it become, like, a scotch whiskey? It describes the habits of Tom, a Scott's nickname for Tam. The guy's name is Tam, not Thomas. Scott's nickname for Thomas. A farmer who often gets drunk with his friends in a public house in the Scottish town of Ayr and his thoughtless ways, specifically towards his wife, who waits at home for him. At the conclusion of one such late-night revel, after a market day, Tam rides home on his horse Meg while a storm is brewing. On the way, he sees the local haunted church lit up, with witches and warlocks dancing and the devil playing the bagpipes. He is still drunk, still upon his horse, just on the edge of the light, watching, amazed to see the place bedecked, with many gruesome things such as gibbet irons and knives that have been used to commit murders. What is a gibbet iron? Public execution thing? I don't know. The music intensifies as the witches are dancing, and upon seeing one particularly wanton witch in a short dress, Tam loses his reason and shouts, Well done, Cutty Sark! Cutty Sark short short shirt. Not skirt, shirt. Well done, Cutty Sark. Immediately the lights go out, the music and dancing stop, and many of the creatures lunge after Tam, with the witches leading. Tam spurs Meg to turn and flee, and drives his horse toward the river Dune as the creatures dare not cross a running stream. The creatures give chase, and the witches some come so close to catching Tam and Meg that they pull Meg's tail off just as she reaches the Brigga Dune. Yeah, there's that um, that the idea that evil beings can't cross like water, or something. It gives you a convenient way to escape from them. You just have to find some sort of river nearby, and cross it. Then they can't they can't come across. Yeah. <clears throat> so I guess if you live on an island, you're safe. I don't, I don't know, or could they like parachute in or paraglide in? 
I don't know. I guess monsters could use parachutes, no? If they needed to. But how could they, even if the plane was, like if, if they're up on an airplane, like, and they cross water, does that, can they still do it? Or is it like, would they be sort of like demolished, like destroyed crossing any kind of water? I don't know. But anyway, that's the short shirt. Yeah. But is it a short shirt? See, I'm thinking of it as sort of like a... I always thought of it as a skirt, but could it be a short shirt? As opposed to a short skirt. Hmm. Let's see if anyone has an illustration of the character in question. The witch, Cuddy Sark. Let's see what we got here. To do, yes, let's see. Okay, okay, so I think they're calling it a shirt, but it's sort of like a dress, yeah. Okay, so her legs are showing and stuff, yeah, all right. Yes, there, there's Cuddy Sark chasing, or pulling the tail off the off the horse, there you go. Yeah, yeah, so it's like a, it's like a short dress, it's not a shirt, it's a, yeah, okay. There's a lot of images of Cuddy Sark. So many. Well done, Cutty Sark. And then finally, let's look at the whiskey. Let's just see. What it is. See, I'm finally covering it. Did I already cover it, though? I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah, there's Cutty Sark whiskey. Yeah, it's a green bottle with the white, yellow, and black label. Cutty Sark. The font looks a little... Eh, it's not... It's not Caslin Antique, but it's, yeah, it kind of gives that vibe. Blended Scotch whiskey. Yeah, I'm kind of a whiskey snob. I'm not going to get this stuff. But my at my grandparents' house, they had a bottle of Cuddy Sark. I think it was the same bottle there for years. I guess they didn't really drink it. They just used it for mixed drinks. I don't know. But I used to always see that logo of Cuddy Sark uh, in my grandparents' kitchen. It's a good logo. Most people don't know, don't, don't know the origin of it. Short skirt, short dress, uh, whiskey. Yeah. Oh, talking about fonts, I did want to mention the uh, the font on today's show art of a uh, mummy with telescope multimedia presentation is actually the font Cyberotica. It's a very good uh, uh, '90s kind of font, Cyberotica, like cyber erotica. Yeah. A 1994 uh, designed by Barry Deck for Thirst Type. Uh, it was once available through Village Type and that appears to have been discontinued as of 2020. So, Cyberotic has been uh, discontinued. <coughs> I'm still using it. Oh wow! That the Orbs album where Oblivion uses a uh, Cyberonica. Anyway, I do like it as a uh, all caps looks a lot better. The lowercase is kind of wild, but yeah, you know, I like it. 
that's the story of today's show art and of something Cuddy Sark, which is unrelated. Is it unrelated? Everything's related when you get right down to it. Anything I think, I do, I do so think. It's later on now. And, uh, yeah, I caught up listening uh, to Into Your Head with Neil from Ireland. He brought the show back after seven years. And, um... I did message him to uh, see how he feels about me, including it on uh, the Overnightscape Underground. So it'll, it'll, we have a lot of his episodes in the archive from when I uh, did all that archival research a few years ago. So hopefully he'll be cool with us uh, posting the show so it'll be part of the archive and uh, moving forward. I'll let you know what he says. I, I, I realize when I texted him it's kind of late in Ireland right now because it's, I texted him around 4, 4.30, and it's like, uh, I guess it's just 9 p.m. there, 9, 10 p.m., yeah, because of the time difference kind of thing, yeah. But check it out, IntoYourHead.com. I think it's still the website, yeah, and uh, check out his show. Hey, it's a little bit later now. Um, all that talk about not smoking made me want to smoke, so I'm having a pipe now. I... Uh, I had trouble finding my pipe bag, but I, I eventually found it. It's my bag with all my pipe stuff in it. So one uh, thing I've been wanting to talk about is this um, this kid from like the 1800s or something that um, created this entire world of Alastone, and uh, then he but he died at age six. But he created so much in in his in his brief life, and. Um, I think the main uh, way people know about him now is from this book, An Atlas of Fantasy. I have the 1979 edition. I had, I, I got this, I think, probably around when it was published as a kid. This is, I think, one of my favorite book covers ever. This is a, a you know, trade paperback, a soft cover, um, and it's in the, it's in a horizontal format. It says new revised edition. I guess there, I, I have never seen what the other editions look like, but this one has uh, a photograph of a globe and all these maps and an inkwell and one of those, what is this thing, like a, a compass, that little nutcracker-looking thing you used to use on maps. And a beautiful logo of a dark red and, and, a, and a, an orange I, I can't necessarily identify the font that's used there, but it's sort of a beautiful script face. It says, The first major guidebook to the lands that never were. An Atlas of Fantasy by J.B. Post. New revised edition. The worlds of Tolkien, Burroughs, Milne, 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 Conan Doyle. More than 100 marvel-filled maps from the fanciful realms of literature and legend. And uh, this is such a great book. It's from Ballantine Books. It was eight ninety five when it came out. It was a lot of money back then. Anyway, um, what does the back cover say? And they have that logo again, reproduced smaller and kind of a brown background. A captivating compilation of improbable places and spellbound lands. They have Atlantis, the land of Oz. And John Milton's description of hell. 
Oh, yeah, the font they're using is, um, I believe it's ITC Italia. Good font. At least some of the body copy is. Oz, Mongo, The Moon, Atlantis, Dune, Toad Hall, Treasure Island, Fairyland, Baskerville Hall, Lilliput, Slobovia, Pooh's Turf, Hyperborea, Earthsea, Yaknapatofa County, and beyond. Over 100 marvelous maps to the never-never lands of fiction and folklore. From the Garden of Eden to Middle-earth, this entrancing collection includes classic and cult charts, whimsical amateur sketches, and author-drawn blueprints of their own fabulous dominions, an atlas of fantasy. Leads you on a journey to Phantasmagoria, where the most enchanting non-people and non-places are waiting to be discovered. So, this book I've actually... I believe I've only seen it once in a, in a used bookstore, and I didn't buy the second copy. I don't know. I, I felt I should have a backup copy of this book, but uh, I still have my original copy. What a technology, these books. It's still working fine. So we'll get to Alistone. A-L-L-E-S-T-O-N-E. Alistone. And I'll read you what it says here, because then uh, there's more information you can get online. Uh, I remember reading about this. It didn't really register too much, but this really is quite a, a remarkable story. And the map they have here as well. Alistone was the imaginary land created by Thomas Williams Malkin. Born 1795, died 1802. So it was actually, right on the cusp of the 18th and 19th centuries. He was a precocious little boy who learned to read and write early and who amused himself by writing stories. After a painful illness, he died. At the age of six, intellectuals in those days, even very young ones, were viewed with deep distrust. Because people suspected the boy was physically damaged from birth, his parents had an autopsy performed by Dr. Lister, the attending physician. The conclusion was death due to inflamed bowels. No congenital defect was found. A calendar and dating system, a history and culture, and a geography were created for Alistone. The stories may read a bit crudely, but consider that they were written by a six-year-old child. One wonders what he might have done had he lived. His father, Benjamin Heath Malkin, wrote A Father's Memoirs of His Child. London, Longman, Hurst, Reese, and Orme, 1806, which tells of the brief life of Thomas Malkin, which tells of the brief life of Thomas Malkin. William Blake illustrated the book. Appended to the biography is this map of Allistone and all the Allistone stories. So here's the map, a corrected and revised map of the country of Allistone from the Beth, Best Authorities by Will, Thomas Williams Malkin, done October 1st, 1801, with all the names of the towns and islands around it. So this is, I mean, so he was uh, like five at this point. Wow. There's so many names in the middle. It's like Alistone, Garbro, Besha. Mull, 
Oh, that's a that's a that's a, a fish song. I will mull 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 it over. Yes, everything relates to fish. Fontabaria, Nobladine, Bobble, Chaplos, Dalab, all these all these names, all these places. But yeah, I think that uh, though the book is available, The Father's Memoir of His Child, I think it's this book that has kept this, this uh, story uh, alive. And it's really interesting, uh, you know, how he created this whole world. And uh, I think I do have a link to the actual book here. Well, here's one of the links I saved. It's a blog post from Sacknath's Scriptorium. Sacknoths.blogspot.com. That's S-A-C-N-O-T-H-S. Thomas, and this is Saturday, August 24th, 2013. Wow, it's over 10 years ago now. Time flies. Thomas Williams Malkin of Allistone World Builder. So, reading the Howard... This is him. This is the article. So, reading the Harry Bauer book, Seasoned to Taste introduced me to an interesting historical figure I'd never come across before, Thomas Williams Malkin, who appears in two of Bauer's pieces. These are my jewels, page 6 through set, six to 7, about biographies by parents of their own children, and Reading Readiness, pages 16 to 20, entirely devoted to Thomas Williams Malkin. Through these, I learned that more than 200 years ago, Malkin, Malkin was an inventor of an imaginary world with its own maps, stories, histories, and invented language. Malkin, so this is this Bauer person, Malkin devised a language for his fanciful island and compiled a dictionary for his imaginary subjects. Appended to the history was a table of remarkable events. When he died in 1802, young Malkin was even working on a comic opera set in his imaginary world of Alastone, the Entertaining Assembly, and finding it rather heavy going, which is not surprising because he was six and a half years old at the time. So this, this goes on. It's an interesting article about this uh, topic. He, oh, he mentions... Uh, here's a little bit later in the article. As is often the case with the, with things... Once they're brought to your attention, you find you have material on them ready at hand. For example, it had passed unnoticed to me that the map Malkin drew of Alastone is in J.B. Post's Atlas of Fantasy, a work I've had for years but obviously never looked closely enough at. Interesting. So, yeah, um, the book, where all this information comes from, A Father's Memoirs of His Child, uh, from 1806 is on the Internet Archive. Obviously, it's in the public domain. And, uh, yeah, you can find it here. Also, uh, William Blake. I think I know about him. What was his deal? Was he the guy that wrote Tiger, Tiger, Burning Bright in the Forest of the Night? Or not? I guess I don't really know. Let me look at him up, too. See, William Blake, uh, 1757 to 1827, was an English poet, painter, and printmaker. Largely uh, unrecognized during his life, Blake is now considered a seminal figure in the history of the poetry and visual art of the Romantic Age. 
what he called his prophetic works, were said by 20th century critic Northrop Fry to form what's in, what is in proportion to its merits the least read body of poetry in the English language. Hmm. But did he do that tiger tiger thing? I mean, uh, let's see. I, th- I may be thinking of someone else. Because um, both Duran Duran and Steely Dan, two of my favorite uh, bands, have uh, songs that are inspired by that poem. It is him. It is by him. Yeah. The Tiger by William Blake. Yeah, like uh, Duran Duran has an instrumental called Tiger Tiger. And here it's spelled T-Y-G-E-R, but they just spell it T-I-G-E-R, you know. The album's called Seven and the Ragged Tiger. So, And then uh, in the Steely Dan song, God Whacker, about these, this team that's trying to kill God, they're like, we sniff your big tiger in the forests of the night. Here's the poem. It's not too long. Tiger, <coughs> tiger, tiger, burning bright in the forests of the night. What immortal hand or eye could frame thy fearful symmetry? Didn't I read this on the show fairly recently? I don't know. In what distant deeps or skies burnt the fire in thine eyes? On what wings dare he aspire with a hand dare seize the fire? And what shoulder and what art could twist the sinews of thy heart? And when thy heart began to beat, what dread hand and what dread feet? What the hammer, what the chain, in what furnace was thy brain? What the anvil, what dread grasp, dare its deadly terror clasp? When the stars threw down their spears and watered heaven with their tears, did he smile his work to see? Did he who make the lamb make thee? Tiger, tiger, burning bright in the forests of the night. What immortal hand or eye dare frame thy fearful symmetry? It's not bad. It's a good poem. Anyway, let's see this book here. Oh, I want to see the illustrations. Are there illustrations by William Blake? But he was kind of unknown at the time, so what's up with that? Hmm. <laughs> I don't know how big this book was. Obviously, this book had some... There was something about this book. I don't really see much illustrations in here. I mean, there's the map, and then there's one illustration of the kid. There he is. There's an illustration of uh, of Malkin. Thomas, Thomas Malkin. Surrounded by angels. But is that the, is that the art by William Blake? I mean... I thought there was all these illustrations and stuff. Hmm. I'm confused. What else is new? Hold on a second. Let me... uh, I want to read you one of the stories that the kid wrote about the world. Story 2, The Family. This is story number 2 now. One moment. Let me put my pipe down for a second so I can read this story. Once upon a time, in a pleasant street in Count Tib, that was about a mile off from the palace, 
there lived a young lady who had rather an unfortunate life. Now, I intend to relate all that happened in her life, which was well worth describing, after she grew up. As soon as ever she grew up old enough to be able to look for a house by herself, she settled a plan of doing it and began to look out for one as fast as she could. She got that with much ado after taking a great deal of necessary trouble for one and after searching all over a great many towns for one till at last she got to Count Tib, and went into a house from fatigue to see if it was empty. She looked all about the house and found it so. All right, let's continue with the story here. I had a phone call. Nobody can think how glad she was that she did find it, having taken so much trouble before. I can relate. It took us a while to buy this house. We, we put bids in on two houses before it. So, See, he understood. He understood about buying houses. It's tough. As soon as ever she had searched the house, she went to the parlor in great sorrow, took place of a great chair that was there about, and began to reflect on her offenses before to her parents, whom she lost when she was only a little after eleven years old. And after she had reflected about a quarter of an hour, she began to think of one that in a few moments was so deeply impressed upon her mind that she, almost, she was almost ready to faint. She began in a few days to think she chose to look out for a husband and presently set about it. And though this was a great deal of trouble, it was less than her house. She took her husband with her to the house which she had with so much trouble chosen for herself before. Do you know, sir, says the lady, that a few days before this I have been reflecting on my offenses to my parents, whom I have long ago lost, and one was so deeply impressed upon my mind that I was almost ready to faint. Ah, replied he, surprised, some children were presently born to them, at first two at a time, and a few hours after that one more. Their their name was Malice Beg. Wait, what? What the hell? That escalated quickly she got a husband and then she told him about how she was ready to faint because she was thinking about these things and he said ah then some children were presently born to them at first two at a time and a few hours after that one more their name was malice bag m-a-l-y-s-b-e-g malice bag Ooh, bag just like uh begner from before Right? I talked about that character, Beg, last time. Wow. Well, that's just one example of a story. That's, wow. Listen, the kid was five or six years old when he wrote these. It's pretty impressive. But yeah, the whole thing here is, and of course, the first part of the book is the father talking about the whole, his, his, his child, you know. He was super intelligent and, uh, you know, died very young, obviously. And he also wrote a bunch of letters. Let's see if I can find any of these letters that he wrote. Here's letter four. By this time, the kindness of the manners of the Alastonians was fortunately increased. The then-present king, George I, was of a good, amiable disposition and placed himself on the throne when he was about ten years of age. And a very proper time, too. 
He was good all through his life, kind to his subjects, good-natured to everything that belonged to him. But what I have already said is enough of that subject. His subjects and also everything of his were kind in return. So yeah, if you want to check this out, it's uh, A Father's Memoirs of His Child by Benjamin Heath Malkin. Yeah, the father. Front's piece by William Blake. Okay, that's that's it. Okay, there's just a one drawing by William Blake. Interesting. An atlas. Let me look up an atlas of fantasy and see if there's different uh, editions I could see pictures of. I love this book. I was like, it was amazing. All these different worlds made-up worlds. Let's see. Oh, there's, there's people selling it. Oh, here's the older edition. Yeah. Let's see. Gives it like a gem mint copy. Uh, pristine. My copy's a little beat up, as you might imagine. Let's see. Uh, 30... 22, 16, 39, 24. This doesn't go for that much. It'd be interesting to see the older edition, though. Here's one for 20. Maybe I should start, like, buying as many copies of the book as I can. Like that guy that bought thousands of copies of the White Album. I could just buy up every copy of an Atlas of Fantasy I could find. It'd be so cool. But ultimately, perhaps rather pointless to have multiple copies of this book. $30, $20, yeah, it's it's, it's out there. And the earlier edition has a weird, like, dragon creature on the cover. Let's see. That one's more the vertical orientation. How did they work that? Do they have any interior shots? Okay, yeah, sort of, sort of see what they're doing. I don't know. I guess they hold the book sideways for some of the maps. I don't know. Yeah. So I guess it was better being in the horizontal orientation. I don't. It looks like this was the final edition in '79. Uh, I don't see anything else on there. So here's a review of Atlas of Fantasy from Goodreads from 2019 by Muzzle Hatch. My copy of An Atlas of Fantasy is the 1979 paperback edition and is, alas, falling apart after years of use and abuse. At some point, I'll track down a quality copy of the hardcover. There was a hardcover of this, huh? <laughs> I didn't know that. I don't believe this was ever reprinted since the 79 Ballantine edition. The first edition from 1973 was is slightly different. Interesting. People love this book. I love it. It's a great book. An Atlas of Fantasy. Here's another story. Um, Grand and contentious, the world's largest Hindu temple is opening in New Jersey. So I've been hearing about this for a long time because um, the group is called BAPS, B-A-P-S. It's uh, a religious sect 
and I knew someone that was in this sect. It was uh, in the um, the lobby of the building that I worked when I worked for that, that financial marketing agency on uh, 3rd Avenue. I worked there for many years, like 10 years I worked there. The guy that ran the coffee shop in the lobby, I used to talk to him all the time. And he and he he talked about being a member of Bops, and uh, I remember he also used to like watch cricket matches like on uh, on like an like like on an iPad or a computer or something. But I think he told me about that they were building this. I think it's been in the works for a long, long time. And I'm looking at a picture of this. It looks absolutely amazing. This enormous uh, temple, Robbinsville, New Jersey. That's like South Jersey kind of area. Grand hardly does justice to the majestic Hindu temple that has risen out of a field here in central Jersey. They're calling it central Jersey? Robbinsville? Really? Where is Robbinsville? I don't know. The Bops Swami Narayan Akshardham campus occupies roughly 180 acres in the township just east of Trenton. Okay, I guess Trenton's not south Jersey. Well, that's not far from where Mad Mike lives these days, of anything but Monday fame. Property large enough to swallow MetLife Stadium almost four times. The gleaming edifice of marble and stone is graced with decorative arches, intricate carvings, depicting stories from Hindu scripture and some 10,000 statues. Its spire reaches 191 feet in the sky. Almost 13,000 people from around the world spent 12 years working on the project, constructing what the congregation says is the largest Hindu temple in the world. This is a few weeks ago that it opened. Uh, so 12 years ago was what? Uh, 2011. Yeah, I was still working at that place, definitely. That's what he was telling me about it. Yeah. I forget the guy's name, though. The guy... Uh, Mm-hmm. Bops stands for Bachasanwasi Sri Aksar Purushatam Swami Narayan Santa, a congregation named after Bhagwan Swami Narayan, an Indian religious leader of the late 1700s. Hmm. Same time that kid was around. The denomination emphasizes faith in humanitarian service. Its volunteers are known for contributing countless hours of selfless service, or SEBA, annually. Hmm. All right, let me, let, me, let me do some research on this bops. I got a little cult vibes here, but I'm gonna, I don't know. Let me research it. All right, here is a question that was posted eight years ago on Reddit. Hello, is bops... Swami Narayan, a legitimate, legitimate part of Hinduism, or is it a more of an offshoot or cult? And here's an answer from Indian PhD student. It's a niche branch of Hinduism which has a large following abroad. It's an offshoot, yeah, but not an entirely new thing. Their beliefs are traditional. In my experience, they are known for having high-profile donors make really huge and beautiful temples and also generate revenue from them which is a bit unorthodox business structure as opposed to mainstream Hinduism. They also have some internal schism, which gets nasty. However, I wouldn't call it a cult. They don't ask for too much personal engagement from their followers, who pretty much lead normal lives. They just give huge donations. 
On the positive side, these guys make really good temples in traditional architectural styles. I think uh, Ashkardam Temple, Delhi, bring, uh, belongs to them. They are also planning to make the largest Hindu temple in the world in New York, I think. New Jersey, bud, okay? New Jersey, not New York. Traditional Indian architecture has always been pleasing to my eyes, so I'm happy they're making more of such temples in a grand scale. Now, can you visit this place? Like, Do they offer like tours or something? Mm -hmm. That's it. Let me just search. It says, uh, the temple will open for regular services on October 18th. Hey, it's October 26th now, so it's open. The campus will also be open to the general public to tour on an almost daily basis. People are invited to visit the grounds and learn about the Hindu religion, he said. Visitors are welcome to attend prayer services as well. So you can visit. Okay. That might be a cool weasel adventure. Note to self. Three weasels. Temple. Robbinsville. It looks very cool. We're going to go at some point. I'm telling you. Anyway. Well, it's Thursday again somehow. These Thursdays seem to be coming around a lot more frequently than they used to. <laughs> As I was saying last time, uh, my sense of time it seems to be a bit weird. Time seems to be fasting, passing way too fast. Um, but Thursday night, of course, is when the, t the TV shows Gen V and Loki come out. So I get to watch those. Gen V is a really good show. It's a, an offshoot of the boys, a show about superheroes. takes place in a college for superheroes. Really well done, um, if a bit gory. Loki, on the other hand, is uh, really... I think this is the first three episodes of season two. Really almost bordering on incoherence. I mean, it, the show is... There's just something wrong with that show. I'm still watching it, though. It has time travel, so... Almost every show has time travel these days. I love it. I love time travel. Although, at the moment, I don't have a time machine or any capacity to travel through time. I do, I do anticipate at some point they'll either invent it or I'll, I'll, uh, a me from the future will come back and give me a time machine or something. You know what I'm saying? There's only so long we can go without time travel, please. And of course, you know, I do consider the situation that I'm in to be a complete mystery. Right? I think for most of us, we... Don't know how we got here, what we're doing here, or what comes next. Yeah, people have a lot of ideas, but none of them are particularly testable from our perspective, from our, you know, here, right? But I have certainly had the impression that um, I might actually be in the far future and this is a very detailed uh, simulation of the past that I've inserted myself into. I know we all we all come to this conclusion at some point, or this thought. Do we? Do, have other people come to this thought? And I know the movie The Matrix has the same thing going on, and it's been involved. And probably all of my exposure to science fiction has made me think about this stuff. But in any 
society with a large repository of history, right, you would imagine that the uh, individuals in that society would become fascinated with, with times past and wish they could time travel. In absence of actual time travel, you might imagine that a, um, a version of virtual reality immersion, a computerized world, um, considering our technology today, you can do some virtual worlds that are pretty good. But just imagine hundreds of years from now how much better it will be. It will be indistinguishable from reality, and um, right. Even I've even posited that were we to collect all of the historical data that we have still remaining on this planet, everything, and extensive interviews with people who remember things, um, feed that all into an AI, you should be able to create the entire planet Earth at any year in the past. And every point of reference that is specifically stated, such as we're talking about everything, every newspaper, every magazine, personal photos, government records, everything, right, fed in, right? You could create the past and then fill in the gaps of stuff you don't have. And I think it would be fairly accurate. Like, for example, if they had, like, some pictures from this street and some insides of some houses but not others, right, they would just fill in the gaps and create a best guess, which would be enough, you know. Because the goal would be to then, like playing a video game, that you could um, live in that world. Motorcycle. You might even be able to ride motorcycles around in that world, um, right? And and it's the technology for how how do you? So if that's going on, just like in the Matrix, you know, the idea is that uh, in the Matrix they would plug something into your head, so your real body is just sort of laying there in some sort of vat of goo, and then the uh, the sensations of having your body in the past are generated by the computer and fed directly into your nervous system, right? That's the idea. And uh, you could uh, develop the, uh, like, your ideal circumstances and live a week, a few days, or if you want to go even further, live an entire life in the past. This is assuming people in the future are immortal and or have time dilation capacities. That is, you sit down for an afternoon, plug yourself in, and you live an entire human lifetime in a few hours your time, right? Could that be what's going on? Yes, it could be. It's a kind of time travel. I mean, if this computer simulation and the experience of living in the past is, for example, let's say it's 100% accurate, let's say not just newspaper clippings and stuff, but they're actually able to use some quantum technique to determine the position of all objects in the past and then perfectly recreate the past. We're not even talking about this imperfect. Let's say they could perfectly recreate the past, right? And perfectly, um, right? So then how would experiencing going into the past in a computer simulation, which is running in your present, as opposed to an actual 
capacity to physically cross over into the past, would the two not be sort of identical? I, I know the one is in a computer simulation, the one is in the actual past, but in the end, it would be in the two uh, experiences would be indistinguishable from one another. You see? What the hell's going on over there? Oh, it's a squirrel. Okay. Right? So if the two things are exactly the same in, in the experiential quality, wouldn't could you say that in the ultimate sense, the ultimate cosmic sense, that they are the same? It is time travel. Right? I don't know. And this, I mean, this, of course, is dovetails with the whole idea that are we living in a computer simulation, which, you know, more and more people are, you know, coming to the conclusion that there's, it's likely that we are because if any society reaches the point where they can create computer worlds that are, you can enter and then be sort of indistinguishable from the real world, what are the chances that and there'd be so many more of these virtual worlds than real worlds. What are the chances that we're actually living in a, in one of the real worlds? You know. But to take a step back from all this, as I said, the this is all sort of assuming the world has a shape, like the world I'm in right now. I'm having a series of experiences in this life. So. I, what I would say is, what if the experiences are all there is? And us framing it in terms of, oh, it's being generated by a computer in the future, or it was created by God and God is overseeing it, or there's a big bang and it all happened in an undirected fashion with the laws of physics, or whatever, what, whatever have you, that framing device to the experience To me, the experience is kind of the only thing. I know you might say that the framing is required to generate the experience. You need a world to live in. But what if generating experiences is just what the universe does? And the framing devices of, oh, it's a, it's a computer simulation or, oh, it's a quote-unquote real world, Right. Those larger issues, the world you're in, you know, is the world flat or is it round? Is it computer simulation or is it real? Maybe any of those things are just like add-ons to what the world really is, which is just a series of experiences being generated somehow, some way. I don't know, but I think I chose a pretty good t destination in this time period. It feels like I am appreciating it as someone from the future would appreciate this world. But again, that probably all of my, uh, all of the science, time travel science fiction that I've been consuming my whole life. I'm confusing it with real life? No. Oh, I don't know. Yes, time travel. But what about just a damn time machine? You just step in like a TARDIS and just go anywhere you want. That'd be fun. For a while, at least. I'm sure you get tired of, tired of it after a while. I don't know if you'd ever get tired of it, actually. I don't know. I don't think I would. I think I could just do it for on and off. 
Any other good maps in this book? Whoa. Gotta find some maps. Ooh. Lemuria. Dilfar and Environs. Oh, what's that? That was Roger Zelazny? Dilfar. I lost it. <laughs> I just saw the name Roger Zelazny, and then I, I went past it. Wow. Oh, Dilvish the Damned. Okay. I don't think they have Amber, though, in here. Right? The Amber, the Amber works. The books, Amber books by Roger Zelazny. Oh, there's, there should be an index of authors, right? Let's see. No. No, I don't think we get any indexes in here. I thought there was, I thought I saw an index. No. Well, there's not that many entries. You can just look through it. Anyway, yeah, I, 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 but I do have other Amber books that have maps of Amber and stuff. Yeah. All roads lead to Amber. Yes, and you, you are actually time traveling now yourself, right? By, uh, in a way, by listening to this show, which is in your past, clearly, as I'm recording this and you will hear this after this moment. You are time traveling back to uh, to you. It could be earlier today. It could be yesterday. Or it could be 100 years ago. I provide as kind of a time travel service for people here on the show. No? I think I do. Anyways, I want to thank you so much for patching in to this episode of The Overnightscape. I'm your host, Frank Ebert Nora, here in uh, Nutley, New Jersey, on Thursday, October 26th. 2023. See, that's one of the reasons I, I sort of think about this stuff, because when I say the date, hey, it's October 26, 2023. That is the date, as far as I can tell in our consensual reality, but it feels like it feels like I'm lying or something, or there's something wrong with the date. Just like at a gut reaction, I feel like, yeah, oh, it's 2023. Yeah, sure. I don't know. It's just a clue. It's not anything conclusive. It's conclusive because it's a clue. Clue and conclusive have clue in it. No? Anyways, we're here on OnSug Radio, broadcasting from inside the book. Go to OnSug.com for all the information you need or further in the future if there's no more .coms. I'm sure .coms will, will not be around forever. Find a copy of the book. On Sug Radio. And all the audio should be contained inside the book. That's the goal. We need we need some technology to do that, but listen, technology, all right, it keeps increasing, so we should we should be able to do it at some point. Um we uh, have a huge audio archive. This uh my show here, the Overnight Escapes and going over twenty years. And this project, On Sug Radio, did begin almost twenty four years ago with the dawn of Bluffcosm.com in nineteen ninety nine. In fact, the 24-year anniversary of that is coming up on November 19th, uh, 2023. 24 years after November 19th, 1999. That's what I'm hoping to get the next edition of the book out. But you can buy the current edition of the book, Print On Demand. Uh, that version is called The OnSug, a radio station inside a book. I decided to change the name to OnSug Radio, um, which the new edition of the book I'm working on, and it should be out soon, 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 hopefully. If I can get it out on that day, I'd love to release it officially on that day, 24 years later. Anyways, onsug.com, O-N-S-U-G.com. Onsug is just short for the Overnightscape Underground. Right. 
and uh, get all the latest shows. Get the book, and you can click on uh, the Onsug Radio Archive and the Internet Archive, and you can listen to over, what, 11,000 individual episodes, over 14,000 hours of material in the archive. It, it really is uh, such a massive uh, thing to explore. I hope you do. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, hopefully Neil's uh, Into Your Head further episodes will be in there as well. We'll see. We'll get him in there eventually, I hope. Anyway, I'm sure he'll... Let me see if he wrote back. I don't know. I don't think he wrote back yet. Well, it's like nighttime in Ireland. What do you want? It's late. It's late night. What do I need? That program messenger. Yeah, he didn't write back yet because it's it's nighttime there. Anyways, your voice can be in this archive as well as we're very focused on preserving this archive into the into the far future. That's That's our dream. That's our goal. The stated goal is for people to be able to listen to this in a thousand years, two thousand years, a freaking hundred thousand years. What do you want to say? I think people would be interested in this kind of material. I think we're producing on this channel unique content different than anything else from this time period. We have a unique style, and we're a non-commercial project, by the way. We don't use money. (laughs) Well, each of us uses money in our regular lives because you kind of have to in this society. But the project is non-commercial. That is, uh, we do the shows because we love it, and it doesn't really cost very much to produce the shows or to host them thankfully um so we've uh we've it's a completely non-commercial uh enterprise and i know that's very odd these days everyone's trying to monetize this and monetize that i was trying to but i think uh non non non-commercial is the way to go for this project as i don't think it has a great deal of commercial potential but it has a lot of uh <coughs> entertainment potential let's put it that way so check it out. Now that you know about Onsug Radio, we'll always be here for you. We're, we're your radio pals. I'm also, uh, I think I'm going to put out a third edition of that um, Onsug Radio previews. This one's going to be longer, have like 100 clips, be like s- over six hours long. It just gives you some idea what's in the archive, which is massive. Anyway, now let's check out a new map. Let's see. Go past the massive cosmic cactus. Turn left at Greenland. Hop on board that psychedelic cruise ship and hop off again. You can break on through to the other side.
This is On TV, Subscription Television, Chicago. On TV now presents Adults Only, an optional programming service intended strictly for mature audiences. The subject matter includes material of an adult nature which may be objectionable to some viewers. For this reason, the service is available only to those subscribers who have requested the adults-only option and who pay an additional charge of $4.95 per month. If you would like to order our adults-only optional pay service in addition to the on-TV programming you now receive, call 693-9200 between the hours of 9 a.m. and 8 p.m. Now, for those of you subscribing to Adults Only, stay tuned for this evening's special feature. On TV will now be presenting its optional programming. Immediately following the Adults Only option, On TV will resume its regular program schedule. This is On TV, Subscription Television, Chicago. viewing our transition from on TV's regular programming to adults only on TV's optional service. Our specially selected feature will begin shortly. A world of humor, a world of intense eroticism. The world of Henry Paris is a sexually explicit universe of sensual pleasure. Set against a background of luxurious Which one do you think is going to give you a closer shave? Uh, probably the foam. Foam. I, I wouldn't know the difference between one and the other. We asked each man to test foam on one side, edge on the other. Edge is not a foam. It's a gel that lubricates so you can press harder to shave closer. In your honest opinion, which side gave you a closer shave? The edge side. The edge side. The edge side. Without a doubt? Yeah, without a doubt. Edge lets you shave closer than foams. I got a better shave with the edge. Introducing Smitty, the spirited, sexy new fragrance by Coty. When you're feeling so free, everybody can see. Smitty did it, Smitty did it. When you're staying 
spirited, sexy new fragrance by Coty. This is new electronic Amazatron. Push this button and the computer selects one of a million different mazes for one or two players. Can you follow this invisible electronic maze? Green first, right move, green song. Wrong move, raspberries. Red's turn, right move, red song. Wrong, raspberries. Conquer the maze, your winning song. And now you're ready for a million different mazes. Amazatron from Coleco, number one in electronic fun. In the final days of our double celebration at the two Davis TV and appliance stores, we're offering one dozen RCA video cassette recorders for only $798 each. This is RCA's four-hour tape player with built-in timer. Remember, only one dozen at $798 each. Now, here's another fantastic deal from our furniture department. This deluxe Strata Lounger close-up recliner is only $199.95 in beautiful nylon. Save money during our 20th anniversary sale. Performers become stars before they're old enough to vote. But with the release of her first RCA album, Smooth Talk, Evelyn Champagne King may make that select show business circle at 16. Some people who influenced Evelyn were her dad, Eric King, her uncle, Avon Long, and T-Life. As T-Life says about Evelyn, this champagne's got a lot of life in it. Here's Evelyn Champagne King. Exhibits and camping equipment. Buy right at the show. Special sale prices. Don't miss the exciting ninth annual camping and travel show, Camp America in 77. January 28th through February 6th, indoors at Arlington Park's Heated Exhibition Hall. 28 truckloads of carpeting made it through the snowstorms to Plywood, Minnesota in time for the hottest carpet sale in town. You'll find foam back nylon level loops regularly $335 a square yard, now only $279. Shags, regularly $499, now $396. And sculptured shags, regularly $745, now only $597. So come to Plywood, Minnesota soon for heartwarming bargains on foot warming carpets. When it's raining outside, does water force its way inside through cracks in your foundation walls? Jet Dry Waterproofing Service has the solution. For over 25 years, Jet Dry has provided quality service to thousands of homeowners. Jet Dry professionals apply a waterproof barrier under pressure, completely sealing foundation walls against outside moisture. Your basement water problems can be solved. Call the professionals at Jet Dry, 620-1666. This week in People Magazine, look in on tough guy George C. Scott and find out how a fifth marriage can mellow an angry man. Then discover what went wrong when Jerry Lewis tried to bring his spectacular Hells a Poppin' to Broadway. It's all right here in the new People, the with it weekly that's all about everyone. See Jimmy Carter step right out of his favorite teacher's scrapbook. Meet the man who controls the bionic woman and the six million dollar man. And listen to George Clinton, godfather of funk, talk about his music. That's People for you. Pick up your week. Pick up a People today.
I get some gas? We're almost out. Uh, okay, well, listen, I'll meet you down at the gas station. Okay. Oh, oh listen, I've got some money. Go on, take okay. it. Okay. <laughs> hey, Joe. Thanks for the nice day. Sure. Will you check under the hood, too, please? Sure. Uh, where's the oil ticker? Foreign, you know. You know, a lot of my customers work at the hospital down the street. Uh -huh. Oh, yeah, I'd say fully 60%.
a Hikon film.
Jane, is that your Alice dress? Yes, that's right. It's very pretty, isn't it? And what about the crown? Uh, that's when I become a queen in the last act. How long are you a queen for? Very short time, because it's the climax of the whole play. And it just about matches your hair. It's almost red gold, isn't it? Yes, it's meant to. Is this the first time you've played, Alice? No, I did it on two LPs for Douglas Cleverdon. And is it the first time you've been on the stage? No, I've been in a very small play, but nothing as big as this. You're opening at the Playhouse at Oxford. Uh, when was it? On the 15th of December. And you're well into rehearsals, I suppose? Well, yes. <laughs> what about school? Because you're... How old are you? I'm 13 now. So you must go to school. Yes, I have lessons every morning with my tutor. You're working pretty hard. Yes, trying to. You've made a film before? Yes, I've made films, some films. What film did you? I was in Mandy, about the deaf and dumb girl. That was my first film. And then I'd been in some children's films afterwards. And do you find there's a great difference between films and television and playing live on the stage? Oh, yes. I think stage is the best, though, 
because with films and television you don't know who's going to watch it, and with stage you can see your audience and know you know if they're liking it or not. That helps a lot, doesn't it? Oh, it does. Yes. It have, you, have you got any really favourite lines from Alice of the Looking Glass? Yes, I think I like Jabberwocky best. Can you remember it? I know the first verse. Twas brillig, and the slithy toves did gyre and gimble in the wave. All mimsy were the borogoves, and the mome wraths outgrave. All mimsy is lovely, isn't yes. it? Yes. 